0: Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB One package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. Cambridgesavings.com/slash CSB One. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Now that the election is done and the president-elect's team is working out the details of the new administration, I want to take you back about eight months ancient history in this election, to the end of the presidential primary process. It looked like Donald Trump was going to win the Republican nomination. And there was this speech that Mitt Romney made. It created a lot of waves. You've probably heard snippets of it on the evening news. In it, the previous Republican nominee came out against Trump. So here's what was really interesting about the speech. There was this strand of criticism going through it, attacking the things that Trump was the most proud of. What little he has said is enough to know that he would be very bad for American workers and for American families. But you say, wait, 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 isn't he a huge business success? Doesn't he know what he's talking about? No he isn't, and no he doesn't. That jab went right to the heart of the success that Trump felt like he had been building up for decades. And he had a press conference a few days later, and he hit back at Romney. Mitt was a disaster as a candidate. He was begging for my endorsement. I could have said, Mitt, drop to your knees. He would have dropped to his knees. He was begging. You know, he doesn't mention the fact that I built a city on the west side of Manhattan, that I built buildings all over Manhattan. And he talked about a water company, which by the way, I still have. I supply all my clubs with the water. You know, numerous of those things I have, the magazine, other things. We've just been through more than a year in which the idea of wearing pride on your sleeve was something that some people loved, other people not so much. So how good or bad a thing is it to be prideful? scholars have actually been thinking about pride at least since darwin who argued that this is an emotion that is part of the core of who we are as humans jessica tracy has studied pride for years the science of it the genetics of it how it helps us how it hurts us she, of course, had no idea it was going to become so high profile in this election. She's a professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia and the author of the book, Take Pride Why the Deadliest Sin Holds the Secret to Human Success. Jessica, welcome.
1: Thanks so much for having me. So, first of all, what does pride mean to you? Like, how would you define it? Well, pride is a positive emotion, which means it's an emotion that feels good, right? It's a pleasurable feeling experience. Right? But it's different from other positive emotions like happiness because the good feelings are all about the self, right? They're all about me feeling good about myself, typically because I did something that I think is good or that other people think is good. Or I just kind of am feeling, you know what, I'm I'm a good person in various ways. I'm successful. I'm achieving. I'm nice. I'm kind. And so that's what makes pride, I think, really interesting, because no other positive emotion is all about evaluating oneself and thinking about how we feel about ourselves.
0: I think in our society, we have a little bit of a mixed feeling about pride and whether it's good for you or not good for you. I mean, it was one of the seven deadly sins. Um, But we also do say take pride in your work, which indicates that it's a good thing and that you should have pride. Is there a person that illustrates to you positive pride, you know, pride that drove them towards something that if that was not a driving force, you know, they wouldn't have accomplished what they could have?
1: Sure. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, I should say you you make a really important distinction, this distinction does exist, and we've actually come up with different names for the two kinds of prides because lots of languages have different, different names for them. We don't in English, which creates confusion, I think. So we call the good pride authentic pride, and we call the other pride, which is the more arrogant pride, we call that hubristic pride, which is of course coming from the Greek's term hubris. And absolutely, I think the good pride, authentic pride, is what motivates people to achieve to be good parents, to be good friends, be good relationship partners. Me- really, all of the good things that we see in people and we want to see is driven by a desire to feel that kind of pride. And so one example is, I talk about the ultramarathoner Dean Carnazis, who's run, I think, more consecutive miles than maybe anyone else in the world. He runs these insane races that are you know, over 100 miles long just by himself, and he'll run for days at a time. And in his memoir, he talks about how he was a runner early in his life, in in high school, and he was really into it and loved it. And then, like many people, he kind of quit. You know, he stopped running and went on with life and went to college and got a business degree and got a job and so on and was living a perfectly fine life. And somewhere around, it was actually right before he turned 30, he sort of felt that something was missing. For whatever reason, his career wasn't giving him the sense of accomplishment Hmm. and self-satisfaction that we all crave and that I think we evolved to crave. We all need to feel good about ourselves. And so he was having this sort of crisis, not a midlife crisis, I guess early life crisis, um, which is lucky for him. And uh, on his 30th birthday, he sort of had this little freakout where he realized, oh my God, my life is not going the way I want it to go and just started running. It was kind of, I think, an impulsive thing. He just sort of ran. It was at night. He had the freak out. He was, I think, probably a little drunk, and ran from where he lived in San Francisco, all the way to Half Moon Bay, which is about thirty miles. Ran all night. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, kind it's of like an amazing Forrest story. Gump. He, he just keeps yeah, running exactly. and running. Exactly. And running. But but yeah, I mean, I think you know what he realized after that is that the next day he talks about he couldn't walk. <laughs> Obviously, if you haven't run for years and then you run thirty miles, you're going to be in bad shape. Right. But he realizes that this was really important to him. That running and and trying hard to succeed in this kind of athletic endeavor was really a core part of his identity and and a way that he could feel good about himself. And once he found that, he said, okay, this is what I'm going to shape my life around. And he became this famous ultra marathoner who has done all kinds of amazing feats. He's inspired millions of people and really kind of found a way to get that authentic pride. Now, how do you know that that's pride
0: and that that's not just him feeling like bored, you know, that he has a job, it's Mm -hmm. not that exciting, and he's looking for something to spice things up.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you raise a good question, and and far be it from me to say, no, there's no way it was boredom. I would say running 30 miles at a time can be pretty boring. So my guess is that, you know, that's not, I think, what most of us think. I'm going to stir things up. I'm going to go run for miles and miles. You know, things like that that are actually painful, tedious, difficult, not particularly exciting for the most part. But the people do despite the pain. I, I actually think the only way we can explain that is this desire to feel good about the self. And, and we do so many things that are like that, right? I mean, on an everyday basis, most of us choose the harder thing. You know, there are, of course, days when we don't. There are days when we say, hey, I'm going to chill out today and just relax and watch some TV and drink some beers. But there are other days where we say, no, I'm not going to do the fun thing. I'm going to do the hard thing because I want to succeed in various ways. I want to, you know, take that photography class even though it's going to be a lot of work. I want to run that marathon even though the training is going to really hurt and it would be much easier to lie on the couch. Or I want to work all night to develop computer programming skills. This is what Bill Gates did, Mm -hmm. you know, to become one of the best programmers in the world. I really think the only way we can explain those kinds of behaviors that go against, in many ways, our sort of basic survival and reproduction needs, the right. sort of more basic needs that we all have, we don't need to do these things to achieve those needs. It's you know, All these people, we're talking about people who, you know, Dean Karnazes is a great example. He had a, a perfectly successful career. He was very successfully supporting himself and his wife. So it wasn't about finding a way to, you know, get food on the table. In fact, if anything, when he gave up that career to become a runner, that became much more difficult. But that's the whole point about pride. We, we have this desire to feel good about ourselves so desperately that we will give up these sort of more basic level needs in order to attain it. I'm Kara Miller, and you're
0: listening to Innovation Hub. I'm talking with Jessica Tracy, a professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia and author of the book, Take Pride, Why the Deadliest Sin Holds the Secret to Human Success. So then... I guess the question is, where does pride go off the rails? I mean, where does it do something like uh, make you cheat on a test because you so desperately want to be the best that you're willing to compromise who you are?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, this is this is fascinating about pride. I think that because it is not just one thing, right, we talked about authentic pride, but there is this hubristic pride as well. And that's the sense of arrogance and conceitedness that we all have in us the potential for. And of course, some people experience it more than others and show it more than others. And some of us feel it but hold it back. But we all have that potential because that, too, I think is part of human nature. And it really can lead to all kinds of destructive behaviors. So our research shows that people who tend to feel this kind of hubristic pride... Have problematic friendships right they they have trouble making friends and keeping friends because really what they value more is boosting themselves up at the expense of their friends so they'll put others down to feel good about themselves they'll behave aggressively to try to get power and control and so the result of that is behaviors that can be really destructive like cheating and lying Um, in the book i talk about lance armstrong as an example of this i think because he's someone who clearly early on had to be motivated by authentic pride. I mean the amount of hours that he put in riding a bike which gets really painful over time. There's no other way to explain it except that he wanted to get that sense that that feeling about himself that he was good that right. he was worthy. Right. And then yet we know that something changed, right? That you know he was caught doping for many many years and lying, you know, lying to everyone around, bullying others into lying as well, bullying his teammates. And all these are exactly the kinds of behaviors that we expect of someone who would feel hubristic pride. And so what I think it is is you sort of forget those feelings feel really good, right? Pride feels great. Authentic pride and hubristic pride both feel really good because it's this, wow, I, I myself is good. We evolved to really want that and it's it's adaptive for us to want that. But then if you start getting those feelings and kind of clinging to them and really relying on them, you forget that really the way to get them is to keep trying to achieve, keep trying to strive toward that, toward that great feeling about the self, not sort of rest on your laurels, focus on how great you are, focus on the accolades you're getting from others. Because as soon as you start to do that, then you know the the memory that, well, wait a minute, I had to work really hard to get those things kind of goes away. And instead it becomes about, you know, anything you can do to get the accolades. And so sure, cheating is a much easier way to get the accolades. I'm going to read you a
0: quote uh, from Arnold Schwarzenegger, who uh, gave an interview to, to Rolling Stone. You've written about this. Um, he was 28 years old. And this is what he said. Around the time of grammar school, I had this incredible desire to be recognized. I didn't care about the money. I thought about the fame, about just being the greatest. I was dreaming about being some dictator of a country or some savior like Jesus, just to be recognized. And I wonder, when you think about narcissism, we talked about pride being kind of baked into the cake, that we mm-hmm. it's innate in some ways that we feel pride. It's not necessarily something that people taught us. Um, it's just part of our genetic makeup. Is it, are people who are narcissists, is that part of their genetic makeup? Or is that something that you know uh, can be learned and unlearned over time?
1: Yeah, well, so it's, it's a complicated issue, I would say. Um, the tendency to feel pride—that's absolutely baked into our genetic makeup—and pride does take these two forms. Um, and, and I think there's evolutionary reasons for that because both prides end up getting us power, getting us status, getting us ahead. Even hubristic pride—people who feel a lot of hubristic pride—do end up at the highest ranks of, you know, the totem pole, the the social ladder. And you know, Donald Trump is, of course, the the current great example of that, where he's <laughs> someone who demonstrates almost astonishing levels of hubristic pride and yet has done incredibly well, right? I mean, he's, you know, at at really the highest level one could be almost in terms of American social status.
0: So you're saying in some ways pride works in whatever form it comes in. Yes,
1: exactly. Both forms work. Both forms get you power and they get you a little bit of a different kind of power. The kind of power that Trump has is different than the kind of power that someone who feels more authentic pride typically gets. Um, Trump's is more based on sort of this dominance, we call it. It's about he has power because in many ways people are afraid of him. You know, he sort of says, listen, don't mess with me. I'm going to get power. And it's sort of the ancient, almost, you know, the chimpanzee kind of power you can think of it, right? This is how non-human primates have been getting power for millennia. Um, And and we humans have that ability too. We do give power to people who intimidate us Mm -hmm. and who we're afraid not to give power to. In terms of whether narcissism is, is part of our genetic profile, on the one hand, yes, absolutely, there there is a genetic basis for narcissism, which is to say if you have a certain profile of various genes, not a narcissism gene, I don't think there's a narcissism gene, but if you have a certain profile toward, for example, aggression, maybe, you know, uh, neuroticism, there's a, there's a variety of traits that we do know there's distinct genes for. If you have that profile, you're going to be more prone to being narcissistic, but absolutely life experiences matter. And you know, in terms of the life experiences that cause someone to be narcissistic or to experience a lot of hubristic pride, there's different theories out there. Most psychologists think that it has something to do with some sort of early life experience in which you're made to feel like you need to be perfect and like you are perfect. The parents typically sort of layer on young narcissists this idea of you're great, you're great, you're great. But of course, the young narcissist often doesn't feel great because mm-hmm. no one's perfect. And so then the child is sort of left in this bind when they feel like, wait a minute, here are my parents saying I'm, I'm perfect in every way, but I know I'm not. I can't let that out. I have to hide that. And so you get this pattern where they suppress these sort of these feelings of I'm not good enough and that becomes this unconscious shame and that an exp- explicit or conscious level, what they show is I'm great, you know, I'm, I'm amazing, I'm the best around.
0: You know, we have heard that in the last several decades, the percentage of kids who say in questionnaires, you know, I'm a really important person, I'm a special person, that that has gone up over time. And I wonder if so much of the pride that we feel is innate, why is it that more people than, let's say, in 1960, you know, more kids feel like, yeah, I'm a a pretty special person?
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, I will say the evidence is mixed on that. There's some psychologists who argue that that if you do those analyses a different way, you don't necessarily see that increase over time. Mm -hmm. And and of course, you know, people, my parents tell me that back in the 60s and the 70s, they were saying the same thing about their generation. But at the same time, I think we're aware now, and this happened in the 80s and 90s, in the 90s especially, that self-esteem is important. And so in the 90s, there was this whole self-esteem movement where in schools, Teachers would try to teach kids to feel good about themselves, right. and that's great. But the problem is, you can't do it by saying, "You're great, feel good about yourself." You know, you have to give kids a reason to feel good about themselves. You can't just tell them to, because kids are smart, right? And so they'll know when it's when it's based on nothing. You know, the policies where everyone on a team gets a trophy or every team gets a trophy, kids know the trophy is meaningless. You know, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they're excited about the shininess of it at first, but they don't get any real sense of achievement or accomplishment from a trophy that everyone gets. And so in the same way, what you want to do is teach kids to work hard and feel good about working hard and achieving as a result of hard work. And Carol Dweck has, is, is a researcher who's done amazing work showing exactly this, that if kids are taught and told after an achievement, hey, you worked really hard for that, they will go on and continue working hard. But if they're told more, you must be really smart, then, then they sort of stop because they think, okay, wait, I'm smart. I don't want to change that view by trying again and failing. I'll just, I'll stop here. I'll give up now. And so what you want to reward is the hard work, not the sort of bland. you're really smart and because kids don't exactly know how to how to maintain that kind of reward, right?
0: Have you learned anything in doing all your research about sort of how you would like people to think about pride in this society differently?
1: Hmm. Yeah, you know, I think um, it's interesting. I think we do have this sense that you know, we want our kids to feel pride, and that is out there. But at the same time, like you said, we also have the sense that pride is a deadly sin. And, you know, religions have have advocated against pride for a very long time.
0: Well, and we also all have the experience of sitting down with somebody for half an hour, and they just tell us Mm -hmm. how great they are. And that's not a good experience. (laughs) No, that's not good, exactly. (laughs) So going forward
1: from that, you don't want your child to be like that, generally. Absolutely, absolutely. But so I think the result is there's a lot of confusion about what to do with pride. Is it okay to feel? Is it okay for me to say I'm proud of myself? Is it okay to be proud of my children? Is this something I should avoid? I think people don't really know the answer to this because we conflate these two different things, right? And so I think by making the distinction and understanding that hubristic pride and authentic pride are different, they have different causes, drastically different outcomes, um, and, and different sort of associations with personality, right? People who feel authentic pride are, are for most of us, the kind of people we want our kids to be. High-achieving, outgoing, extroverted, you know, yes, successful, but not bragging about it. Jessica Tracy is
0: the author of Take Pride, Why the Deadliest Sin Holds the Secret to Human Success. She's also a professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is great. And I'm so
1: proud. I'm so proud. I'm so proud.
0: If you ever want to listen to Innovation Hub while you're on the train or on the subway or somewhere that your radio doesn't live, you can find us on iTunes. From PRI and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, working to unleash the immune system's power to fight cancer and help develop promising new therapies.
1: Videos, white papers, and patient stories are available at discovercarebelieve.org.